Welcome back, fantastic friends and fans, to the ninth episode of the Fancast at Four podcast. My name is Dan Bettenhausen, and I'm your host as we venture into the what-ifs of Marvel's first family, who will soon be appearing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As we wait to hear who will be behind the camera for the Fantastic Four's introduction into the MCU, we still can explore what it would be like if a different director was behind the camera, and who might they cast. If you are new to the podcast and want to hear a brief history of the Fantastic Four, you can check out our first episode, where guest Pat Bolfamonte provides a breakdown of each of the characters. With that said, let's dive right in and meet this episode's guest and see what they have in store for us. I'm very excited to have Maxwell Haddad join us this week as our guest. Maxwell, welcome to the podcast. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. First of all, thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, I'm glad to hear it. A um, little bit about myself. Oh, goodness. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to film school. I am now a, a theater producer. Uh, I've done some stuff off Broadway, on Broadway, a lot of cabarets. I've had some, some success there. Won a couple awards. Um, I also am a frequent podcast guest on all sorts of different podcasts. Uh, I used to have a channel that I was a part of with PJ Campbell and a couple other people that we did really during the height of the pandemic and quarantine. We did a lot of fun stuff over there. Uh, and now I have a, a channel with my best friend, Amber Coates, that we started not too long ago called Amber Productions, where we do TV reviews, movie reviews. We're going to be doing a lot of content about theater upcoming and maybe some theme park stuff as well. Keep all our interests uh, out there and not pigeonhole ourselves too much. Well, you're, you're on the right podcast. You've, you've covered a few things that I certainly enjoy. I know a lot of my listeners listeners enjoy so you seem like a perfect guest no pressure by the nah, way listen <laughs> i'm i'm used to disappointing people so this will just be more nah, nah. I, for those of you who don't know i mean maxwell and i are in some i would say some parallel circles um in various uh movie entertainment communities and i mean the really the big thing that caught my eye was you tweeting about baseball and hockey to be quite honest maxwell oh, there you go uh, perfect you're a big rangers fan right yeah, I am a big New York Rangers fan and a big New York Mets fan. Um, the Rangers had quite a playoff run this year, yes. I think. Uh, I was very lucky. My dad and I bought a script of half playoff tickets because we had half season yeah. tickets, which is why I got to go to a lot of the games. Right. For what it's worth, they did not lose a single game I went to. Hey, hey, you're the good luck charm. <laughs> Unfortunately, they had to go to Tampa and they lost there, but. I, I take the season as as a win. I think we're ahead of schedule in terms yep. of our rebuild, re you know whatever re you want to call it. Um, and I think it's just a sign of how great the team can be for the next few years, especially because so much of the core of the team is young. We are the Rangers were by far the youngest team in the NHL in terms mm -hmm. of the the twenty men and 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 the roster. So, I mean, and with a fantastic goalie like Shesterkin. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's I, uh, half the battle there. He he had a career year. I, I think he's all but guaranteed to win the Vezina Trophy uh, coming up uh, next week. Maybe yeah. even league MVP. He's the first he could, goalie he could nominated the for the heart in a couple years. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it was maybe Carey Price was the last one, but that I might be right. misremembering. Um, anyways, right. so even getting nominated for that, one of three players in the NHL nominated for the Hart Trophy as a goalie is insane. So sure. I all good things for the Rangers this year, honestly. And yeah, yeah no, as a Blackhawks fan, a uh, lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, heartache and disappointment in more ways than one with that team. But you know, I think after this next season, better cap situation, hopefully better draft situation. I think their star will be on the rise sooner than later. But no, certainly the Rangers are a team that are one to watch out for at least in the near future. I certainly can empathize, for lack of a better word, as a fan of uh, maybe the second favorite team in a city. I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. And again, talk about disappointment so far this season. Granted, they just swept the Tigers. Watch out, league. Uh, listen, I, I'm not going to, I could spend the whole hour talking about <laughs> my thoughts on Mets versus Yankees, Mets fans versus Yankee fans. I have always found that there is more authenticity to the Mets and more authenticity to their fans. They are the type of fans who stick with the team through thick yeah. and thin. And with the Mets, there's a lot of thin. I am not casting, you know, a blanket. I'm not making generalized statements, but I think there are a lot more fair weather Yankees fans who are super into it when the team is doing well. And then when the team is not 
they don't care. It just so happens that the Yankees are extraordinary this year, which is frustrating as a Mets fan because <laughs> the Mets are the currently have the best record in the National League. And this should be our year to shine. And we are, except we still have the big brother Yankees looking over sh- our shoulder saying anything you can do, we can do better for now. Right. When when you're doing as extraordinary as the Yankees, it has to bottom out at some point. You have to assume Stanton and or Judge are going to get injured and on the sidelines. But it really comes down to the pitching. Uh, If their pitchers stay healthy, some of their pitchers like this guy, Nestor, has just been so far beyond what anyone could have expected this season. So we'll see. But listen, if we could have a Subway World Series like in 2000, that would be just great for the city. After oh, for sure. everything we've been through, after everything everyone's been through, that would yeah. be really fun. Yeah, no, as, as a White Sox fan, I'm hoping the injury bug uh, is soon subsided. That's been, well, on top of their manager, Tony La Russa. Uh, injuries have been really the bugaboo so far this season, and I'm hoping health will be less of an issue as we go through the season. But uh, that was the sports portion of the podcast. You, <laughs> the the new, new segment listeners, uh, Maxwell, you, you introduced our new sports segment. So thank you Perfect. for that. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, <laughs> but getting back into why we're here, we do have a director we are featuring this episode, and I want to go through their credits. This director has three feature films in their directing filmography, nine feature films in their writing credits, 29 film acting credits. They have one nomination for Best Director at the Academy Awards, one nomination for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards, and one nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay at the Academy Awards. She is an American actress, writer, and director. She first garnered attention after working on and appearing in several Mumblecore films. Since the early 2010s, she has collaborated with her partner Noah Baumbach on several films, including Greenberg in 2010, Frances Ha in 2012, for which she received a Golden Globe Award nomination, and Mistress America in 2015. She is currently filming the upcoming Barbie film and is credited as a writer in the upcoming Snow White film. This episode's director is Greta Gerwig. Maxwell, when you hear the name Greta Gerwig, what comes to mind? For me personally, ever since really the mumblecore movement in the mid-2000s with like Joe Swanberg and the Duplass brothers and her, she has emphasized to me a sort of hopeful optimism combined with a deep, deep melancholy for the human condition. And uh, whether she is acting or writing or directing, she rarely lets me down. She has become one of my go-tos. And I know that's weird to say for someone who has a relatively limited directorial filmography, but I would argue that very few filmmakers who have hit the scene in the last 20 years have as strong of a one-two punch as Lady Bird and Little Women. For sure. She knocked yeah, those two out of the park. I'm, I consider both of them as close to a masterpiece as, as you know, movies of the last 10 years get. She, she, like, just everything about her presence, her interviews, her films, she just makes me smile. And that's increasingly rare. Could you do me a favor and... Uh, for our audience, we mentioned this term twice. Could you educate them just briefly what the term mumblecore means? Yes. Yeah, so mumblecore was an independent film movement uh, started early 2000s that really emphasized a very naturalistic approach to filmmaking with the dialogue. Uh, a lot of times, actually, there would be an outline of a script and they would allow the, the actors to improvise. It, it has some similarities to the Dogma 95 movement. It was almost like this young group of American filmmakers wanted to sort of figure out their own way to make these movies. So like some of the directors I had mentioned previously, the Duplass brothers, Greta Gerwig, Lynn Shelton, Joe Swanberg are a lot of the, the filmmakers who are like really heavily involved. I would maybe even argue that some of Soderbergh's more independent stuff has elements of mumblecore. I don't think he would ever put himself as part of the movement, nor would the people involved in it. But it's it's a it's not like they invented a new style. It was just sort of like a coterie of filmmakers and artists who all sort of honed in on the same thing and made a lot of really great films since the early 2000s. Yeah, one that really comes to mind and unrelated from Greta Gerwig, it's just, you know, this is a movie movie podcast as well. So I like kind of taking these segues. One that really comes to mind when you mentioned the Duplass Brothers was uh, 2016's Blue Jay. That's mm-hmm. one that's probably one that really hit it home for me. Uh, it wasn't a, a genre, a style that I had really ingratiated myself with, but that it, this one really got me interested between Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson. One I really recommend as well. Yeah, I, I love that film. It was so beautiful. It's on Netflix. Um, the Duplass brothers, other than Greta, are probably my favorite 
people involved in this movement. Like if you go back to Baghead or Cyrus or Jeff who lives at home, uh, even uh, the Creep movies, mm-hmm. which are basically horror mumblecore, th- those are both on Netflix as well. There's just like this interesting meeting point between optimism and melancholy where you can be hopeful and, and leave it feeling hopeful, but still not skirt around the pain of what it is to be human. Having just recently been a late 20-something now and early 30-something, it's a feeling I, I'm very familiar with. Uh, despite lots of moments of joy, it's certainly uh, something that hits home. I, not to speak for you, but I'm sure you've had your moments like that as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I saw Ladybird. Ladybird. I remember the first time I saw Ladybird is a Jewish woman I knew growing up. She came over on Fridays <laughs> to cook dinner. The first time I saw Ladybird, I was taken aback by how I find sometimes when a film is hyper specific. I mean, she wrote this movie in Sacramento where she grew up. It's very much inspired by her own experiences. There is that authenticity to it. But sometimes the best best approach to make something universal is to be hyper-specific because the feelings that Lady Bird is feeling, her coming of age, her crisis of identity, trying to fit in, figure out what her place in the world is, that's something anyone can relate to. You don't have to be a teenage girl living on the wrong side of the tracks in Sacramento who dives out of her mom's car and have those super specific experiences to relate to it. And that's a credit, I think, to Greta's empathetic writing and directing. So I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here because I do want to get into our next segment. I think we're in a good spot to talk about four fantastic films from Greta Gerwig. So Lady Bird being her directorial debut, let's, you talked about it a little bit. Let's, let's dive into it a little bit more. What about Lady Bird really resonated with you? We talked about how it was her story. And one, one thing I guess I want to mention too, I actually watched Francis Ha today for the second time. It had been some time and Lady Bird felt kind of like a spiritual prequel to Francis Ha mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And it really made me appreciate Lady Bird that much more seeing kind of this development of Saoirse Ronan's character into what could have been with Francis in Francis Ha. Yeah, like I said, Lady Bird, despite its specificity, I, I just found myself relating to it on such a deep level. It is such an empathetic movie. Yes. There are no villains, right? There are antagonists. Right. Obviously, right. her mom, played by Laurie Metcalf, who I will still stand on ceremony, should have won that Oscar. I agree with um, you 100%. She, her performance is extraordinary. Even though her mom is the antagonist of the film, she is it's deeply not, humanized. Not evil. She's, she's not, not evil. evil. And you fully understand as an audience member her perspective. And that's yes. great writing. I find so often in family dramedies, which at its, at its core, you can really boil this down to because the heart of the movie is, is Lady Bird's relationship with her mom. A lot of lesser movies would make her mom a villain. The audience is rooting for Lady Bird, but they're both deeply flawed. Lady Bird is not always a character you are actively rooting for. She does some fairly shitty things. She makes some big mistakes when she gets to college. But we still, as the audience, and and because of the writing and Saoirse's performance, we understand why she's doing what she's doing. We don't judge her. We feel it. And yeah, that's this, what's special about the movie. This is one where I certainly could believe if you watch this when you are closer to Lady Bird's age, you're like, oh, that mom is terrible. She doesn't understand and really relate with Lady Bird. But as you grow up, you have a family, you have some kids of your own. You're like, oh, Lady Bird, what, you're, why are you doing this to your mother? And just yes. resonate with the mother. It's easy to make that switch, I think, some point in life, especially when once you have kids. I don't Disclaimer, I do not have kids myself, but I can certainly understand that this, this movie makes it easy to empathize with both characters at different points in your life. It does. And and you know, the the entire ensemble is yes. is is extraordinary. Tracy Letts, the Pulitzer Prize winning, Antonio Award winning playwright, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, Beanie Feldstein, Stephen McKinley Henderson. And that's one of the other little bits about this movie. I'm a theater guy. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The act the characters in this movie do a production of Merrily We Roll Along. And in the film, after they have performed it, Stephen McKinley Henderson, who was a father at the school, but also directed this production, is sitting forlorn. And he turns to someone and goes, they didn't understand it. And that is a scene I think about all the time, because I think you would agree as a fan of cinema and theater and whatever, there are so many times where a brilliant work, unfortunately, is misunderstood. Yeah, I agree with you. The, the, the cast 
is great despite whatever time i think tracy letts is probably my favorite character in this film just the i, w- I don't want to say the antithesis to laurie metcalf's character but certainly this kind of calm tide where laurie laurie metcalf and ladybird are these just waves that are crashing against each other you have tracy letts just this this calmness and it's like hey bad stuff happened to me we'll get through it it'll be fine stop worrying yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah he, he throws you crap you know he, he sort of becomes the calming heart of the family keeping them together right. and tracy Letts has an all-time great unique line reading in this movie the way he says doritos yes 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 every time i've watched this film and i have watched it uh numerous times i cackle at, at that weird but perfect pronunciation i i think this movie ultimately like the theme of this movie ultimately culminates when lady bird and her mother are dress shopping and she's like what if this is the best version of me and i know when i was that age like when i was worrying about college and what's next like between jobs what's next like have i have i peaked and that is a very teenager thing and i think it was captured extremely beautifully in this movie it is a very teenager thing but i am about to turn 35 and i still have similar yeah. oh, of course of course am, is this is this the best version of me am i letting ever maybe i won't ever be you know those sort of things especially in the face of other people in your life who don't see you for what you are and what you know you are not to get super deep here, listeners, one thing I've realized is while I'm 32 and I am certainly looking for that someone, I have become a lot more comfortable with myself. And that has made a whole lot of the difference too, is learning to enjoy your company is to me, 80% of the battle. There are some cliches and stereotypes that are garbage. And then there are some <laughs> that are stereotypes for a reason. And right. one I have always subscribed to, and I think you just stated it perfectly, is if you don't love yourself, how can you expect anyone else to love you? Hell yeah. Well, that was Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, and she follows it up with a bang with Little Women. Talk about Little Women a little bit, Maxwell. What what about this film? You called this near, if not a masterpiece itself. What about this adaptation, that this remake of this, this classic book? How did she hit it out of the park this time? Yeah, so Little Women was my favorite movie of 2019, and that's saying a lot considering 2019 saw films like Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then some that I love that maybe aren't as beloved, like Doctor Sleep, which I was a huge fan of. So many great movies that year. And for me, this movie came in at the end of the year on Christmas Day and was just like, all those other movies are great, but this one, it's fascinating because it's obviously a period piece. It's something that's been adapted in many different ways. There's the, the 90s film, there's television miniseries, there's a musical. And it's a book that I would wager more people read than don't. It, you know, it's on school syllabuses, syllabi. It's material people are familiar with. But I think what Greta Gerwig does so well with it is she brings the exact same um, sensibility she brought to Lady Bird. It just so happens to be a period piece. It has that deep empathy for its characters. It has this intangible warmth that I can't even describe other than saying that you feel every emotion in this movie, but it's not cloying or manipulative like a, you know, like a Hallmark Channel movie would be. It feels real and authentic, and that's the writing and the directing and the performances. It's arguably, I would say, the best film version of this story. I like the structural choices she makes. I think that's really clever and sort of opens up the world of the film and gives us an interesting insight into Joe's mind as she looks back upon all of this stuff. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrific. The cast, Greta Gerwig and her casting director, kill it again. Um, some returning players from Lady Bird, obviously you have Saoirse and Timothy Chalamet again. Tracy Letts makes a return. But then like Bob Odenkirk as the family oh father. Gosh. Inspired when, casting. Inspired casting. And Laura Dern, listen. Oh yeah, yeah, well I mean. Laura Dern may be my favorite actress in the world, if not top five. She shows up in a movie, she she delivers, and she is extraordinary here as, the, as Marmy, the mother of the family. And she brings that warmth. I think you can trace the tone of this film back to Laura Dern. I mean, and you can't forget top-notch actors like Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep as well. Absolutely. Uh, and Florence Pugh, who got oh, her yeah, first well, her, her first Oscar nomination that's in what, what was, was her, her breakout year, because Midsommar also came out this year. She was someone I was going to bring up. And I will admit, 
I've never read the book. I never saw anything, but it was, I, I just didn't have interest in the story. I will admit Little Women just didn't seem like it hit my sensibilities, but really based on Lady Bird and what Greta Gerwig did with that, really catapulted my desire to invest in this film. And from everything I read it, after I saw this, I, I read the book and really what Florence Pugh did with Amy's character revitalized the character. It was a character that I believe was always really just kind of maligned and hated. And while she had, I'll say, antagonistic attributes in the film, I think she garnered much more of an understanding and you, you saw her viewpoint and where she was coming from a lot more gracefully in this film, which I think Greta Gerwig did certainly intentionally to be fair to all the sisters. And that, again, a testament to the writing, the directing, the, the performance by Florence, all in this one character. Absolutely. Little Women was did certainly cracked my top 10. Uh, like you said, a lot of great films. Uh, and listeners of, of this podcast know that 2019 may have had the greatest film of all time, 2019's Cats. As you will know when you listen to the two episodes that Jack Mayer was on, you can take that as serious or not. I will let you decide. I know in my heart what is to be true. I see a look I, on I see a look on Maxwell's face. <laughs> I always take the magical Mr. Mistopheles very of, seriously. Of all the garbage songs, that is my favorite garbage song. <laughs> well, and, unfortunately, it's one that by mere mention of the name, it's going to be playing in my. Oh, head right! It is not. It's an ear. It's an earworm for sure. Unfortunately, yes. I, I will save. I will save you any any pain, listeners, and move on to the next film. So due to the nature of her directorial filmography, it's very small. So we really can't talk about four directed films, but we can talk about the one that is upcoming. In 2023, uh, will be released the Barbie adaptation or film that she is directing. And it just so happens today, we were fortunate to see some film image of Ryan Gosling as Ken drop today. So aren't we all lucky listeners to get that? Yes, uh, yes we are. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've seen Margot uh, Robbie as Barbie, and now we've seen Ryan Gosling as Ken. But what really I want to talk, just take some time to kind of speculate what you think this film is going to be. I don't know if you have any insight already, Maxwell, but knowing Greta Gerwig, knowing the cast involved, just curious what your thoughts on this upcoming film are. I feel like this is going to be a Lego movie situation where on paper, the idea of turning a very rudimentary children's toy into a movie makes no sense. Right, right. But with the right filmmaker involved, it ends up being fantastic. I mean, I have no reason at this point to doubt Greta Gerwig, and I am cautiously expecting it to actually be a fairly introspective character study of Barbie. Yeah. I don't think you get Margot Robbie, who is uh, one of our new superstars, Oscar-nominated actress, comic book hero with Harley Quinn, is going to sign on to do a Barbie movie that's just like cheesy 90-minute commercial for the toys i mean just look at this cast you, you margot robbie ryan gosling emma mackey will ferrell michael Sarah, uh, simon liu kate mckinnon america ferrera rito aria Issa ray alexandra ship ray perlman emerald fennel kudi gatwa Shooty, actually is it oh thank you Shooty gatwa Shooty. I, I see i learned something yeah I learned no it's a it's a tough one but i i listened to a couple videos and i'm pretty sure that that is what it is no great hey we want to make sure we're pronouncing names right here, listeners. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing some, but it, stellar cast. I and I think Greta has the clout to recruit a cast like that, but I certainly think this film is going to, subtle or not, I mean, with a, the amount of hot pink, I'm not sure subtlety is going to be its main goal, but it's certainly a satire on something, whether it's capitalist culture, beauty standards, some, all of the above. It, yeah. I think this is going to be a lot more below the surface. Also, she she co-wrote the screenplay with her husband, Noah Baumbach, who's an exceptional filmmaker in his oh, own right. For sure. I, I mean, you go back to Kicking and Screaming and all the way up to Marriage Story, where right. husband and wife were both nominated for Best Picture the same year, which has got to have been a fun time at the, oh, the yeah. Gerwig Baumbach house. But <laughs> Noah's also done some films that might line up more with Barbie. He wrote the screenplay for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. And right. he also, and this this little trivia nugget always delights me, he wrote the screenplay for Madagascar 3, Europe's yes, Most Wanted, yes. because he needed to pay for his divorce. 
Right. Yes, Which is basically where mar- the idea for Marriage Story came from. Yeah. Hey, thanks. So everyone, thanks to Madagascar 3, we got Marriage Story. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of. So, I mean, again, not like you said, we like segues here. Uh, one of my favorite films, the Meyerowitz Stories, that I think it's on Netflix or it was on Netflix, released on Netflix. Thank you. 2017. Really sweet isn't the right word, but a really interesting story about a family dynamic and one that if you haven't seen another dramatic turn by Adam Sandler that I think went unnoticed compared to like Uncut Gems and now Hustle yep. that's out. Uh, yeah, one, so I recommend that listeners. Yeah, great movie. Um, I One of my favorites that year. Adam is great in it. Also, personally, I related to it a lot because there are scenes of Jewish father and son lamenting the failures of the Mets. And I'm like, well, someone <laughs> someone had a camera in, in my, my dad's living room when we were talking. But I think you watch some of Noah's films and yeah. then Greta's and you see they have a similar sensibility. I mean, right? I think it's the reason they're partners. In right. More, so more ways than one. Sometimes there are partners who have very different artistic sensibilities. And then other times you just have two collaborators who are so aligned in what they want to create that they end up falling for each other also. Yeah. So I, 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 it's one of my favorite sort of Hollywood power couples. And it's definitely one where if it were to fall apart one day, I would probably feel more than I should for people I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, I think, that, yeah, they make magic on film. Um, so I, I touched, so the segment is called Four Fantastic Films. She has three directorial credits, two out, one upcoming. So I figure now's an opportunity to talk about something else she's done, whether as a writer, actor, so on. Is there another film that comes to mind when you think of Greta Gerwig that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, you mentioned it already, Francis Ha, which Noah Baumbach directed. Right. Noah right. and Greta co-wrote the screen. Yeah, 2012, one of my favorites that year. Uh, no, actually, I think it came in, in theaters in 2013 and played festivals oh. in 2012. Oh, you're right, you're right. Those Anyways, festivals. one of my favorites that year, Greta and Noah wrote it together. And I'm older now, but when I saw it, I was in my mid-20s, living in New York, working in the creative arts. This is a film that I related to on a deep personal level. You know, dance and theater are essentially the same world. There's a lot of crossover. And this movie, I felt, captured what it's like to be that particular person better than a lot of other similar things. I didn't hate the television show Girls, but I thought in less than two hours, less than 90 minutes even, Frances Ha did a better job of telling that story than Girls did in multiple (laughs) seasons. And I, I, I was okay with Girls, don't get me wrong, but this movie is just, you know, it has a lot of the same qualities. It's it's quirky. It's a little idiosyncratic. Um, there's an incredible wit to its dialogue and comedy, um, but it also has that warmth to it. You're on the journey with Francis, much like you're on the journey with Lady Bird. And as you said, these two characters are parallels. Lady Bird and Francis have a lot in common. You could even do a little like mind melding and be like, well, maybe this is Lady Bird in her 20s. Different names, but- Like I said, a spiritual sequel in a lot of ways, uh, even if the characters by name are not not the same. Um, Right. Yeah, and again, having rewatched it earlier today prior to this recording, picked up a lot more, a lot, and thing that really resonated with me, not having gone through this experiences that resonated with you, but seeing friends of mine who appear maybe that they have better opportunities or are in jobs or relationships that are stronger or there's more money and whatnot, like that, that's what resonated with me, just feeling like, granted, I'm in a job I love, I have a great job, I'm very comfortable with where my life is, but just seeing like the people in my circles and around me whose life appears better and may not always be i don't know like you said friends out there i'm not talking about you <laughs> that that's what resonated yeah with me. absolutely and and i love also i love the black and white uh cinematography yes. perfect choice it's a great film yeah and for yeah for a choice that may come off as pretentious i thought it worked very well it does yeah it, it feels in tone with the the story and the character those are our four fantastic films with those films addressed, it is now time to get in the segment you've all been waiting for, the fancastic casting. How it works is Maxwell's going to go through his list of cast with Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, Human Torch, The Thing, Doctor Doom, all five of them in a row. 
maybe discuss briefly why he chose the actors, actresses that he did, then I'm going to go through my list. And then once we're done, we'll get into our respective pitches. So Maxwell, let's go with your list. Absolutely. So we'll start with Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards. Uh, I have chosen Adam Driver. Um, we were just talking about Francis Ha. Adam Driver yeah. was the male lead of that film. Adam Driver is not just a villain. He's not just Kylo Ren. No, and, no. and I think he exudes intelligence. Oh, and sure. also Adam himself was uh, in the military. Yes. Um, and he has a pretty great physique, but I, I think it would be a little unexpected and out of the box casting. But I think it would really work because when Adam is on screen, you get a feeling that he knows a little bit more than anyone else. He just exudes that charisma and confidence. Yeah, what comes to mind when you when you said his name is one, he's a lead. I mean, he's a straight up lead actor. When you see his name, I don't know if he's, I, I think we're losing a lot of our movie stars anymore and it's getting more into the quality of the film much more than the name. But I think he is someone that if you see Adam Driver on a big project, it's something you might want to go see because he's very choosy with what he gets involved. Yeah, yeah and, which is why I don't think he'll ever actually end up in the MCU, <laughs> but Stranger Things, right? Hey, right, right. But And one other thing that comes to mind is his performance in Marriage Story. I think there's a lot of parallels between Reed Richards and his character in Marriage Story. Not to say that he's that volatile or he and Sue would end in a, in a vicious divorce by any means i don't know i'm waiting i'm waiting to hear your pitch but he he has to be the smartest guy in the room and he is very focused on in marriage story his his directing and that is his kind of one track mind outside of his family and i think you could pull elements of that performance into a reed richard so long story short Love the casting. Thank you. Uh, so then moving on to Sue Storm, I don't think this comes as a surprise. <laughs> it's Saoirse Ronan. Oh, uh, yeah. she, she has been Greta's muse. She's an extraordinary actress. I think of her age gap, it, her and, and Florence is younger, but she is best of the best. If you go back to Atonement when she's a kid, acting circles around everyone in that movie. Um, she exudes class. She exudes intelligence. All things that I think of with Sue Storm. I think her and Adam would work well together, but, and I'm going to leave that but till my pitch, that's not as necessary for my movie. But yeah, I, I think she'd be the perfect Sue Storm, especially with Greta at the helm. No, like you said, she is really Greta's muse at this point. If she's going to have a lead actress, you, I would bet a lot of money that Search is going to be at the top of the list. Granted that she's appropriate for the project, and certainly from Lady Bird and Little Women, she can hold her own against Adam Driver in whatever yes. role she's in. No complaints here by any means about casting Saoirse Ronan in most things, much less Sue Storm. Uh, so then we move on to Johnny Storm. And for that role, I have actually selected Shudi Gatwa, who we mentioned a little bit earlier. Wonderful. Um, considering Greta's filmography is small, I picked Adam because he was in the film she wrote. And then I picked Shudi because he is a version of Ken in the upcoming Barbie. He is very clearly an actor on the rise. It was recently announced he's going to be the new Doctor Who. He will be the first Doctor Who of color. But I don't know if you've ever watched Sex Education oh, on Netflix. Kind of, yes, yes. yes um, and he he is delightful on that show. He'll stand so, out for sure. So charming. And I think, you know, when you think of, of Johnny Storm, you think of rapid fire quips you think of like a certain bravado and I think Shudi could do a slightly softer Greta Gerwig take on Johnny Storm. Yeah, you really kind of covered it. I'm, I am now intrigued to see how this iteration of Johnny Storm is going to play out in your movie because wouldn't necessarily be, I mean, it wasn't the person I was going with, but he is I, Sex Education, another great show on Netflix. You all should watch it. And he yes. is certainly a standout. Like you said, he has bravado coming out of everywhere. Yeah, you just need that cocky arrogance from a Johnny Storm. So it makes sense. A great young actor on the rise. Sounds perfect. Uh, so moving on to the thing. Uh, now, in my version, this is Benjamina Grimm, and it is going to be the one and only Beanie Feldstein. Beanie has worked with Saoirse. They played best friends in Lady Bird. Beanie, I think, is a remarkable actress. She is as funny as any actress working today. Uh, if you haven't seen Book Smart, go watch that movie. Oh, Beanie so is so, so next, next level funny in that movie. 
Um, but she also, again, she has a strength of character. Like you, be- you would believe her as someone who you don't fuck with because she exudes inner strength. And I think that's particularly important for my version of that I'll pitch. And I think, you know, would work great with Greta. Oh, 100%. Don't want to talk too much more about this. Beanie Feldstein's uh, someone I, w- I considered for, for my role. And everything I've seen her in has been great. I was very, and we talked about this before we started recording. She was in the revival of Funny Girl, which unfortunately is not getting the reviews that I was hoping. I had seen it in previews. And like you said, she's funny. And I think a lot of people tried comparing her singing chops to Barbara, which just isn't fair. While this, the show may have had other issues, I personally enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed her performance, which is all I can ask for. And I think pairing her in whatever role with the the three actors that you've put in place, she is going to certainly bring both a toughness and some comedy relief that will, I think, will complement what you have going. So I'm interested to see how these four protagonists blend together. I, I think that's the thing too, particularly with the Fantastic Four, they are a family. The four of them need to have a chemistry and I know Adam and Saoirse and Beanie would all work great together. And I think Shooty would fit in perfectly. They have a very similar presence I agree. Um, that I think would make it feel great. So that brings us to Dr. Doom. Yes. Now, I don't know if you've seen Scream 2. I have not. I have not. I am not a big horror fan in general. I, I've been told Scream is something, if you don't mind gore, that might be a little more palatable. Long story short, no, I have not. Okay, so I'm not going to explicitly spoil scream two then you, I mean, however it's been, for, it's been out forever so if you want if you want to if it's important to this go ahead but don't feel bad about it and anyways the point is so my <laughs> dr <laughs> doom and if if listeners if you've seen scream two and if you've seen ladybird i think you'll kind of understand where i'm coming with this out of the box choice it's laurie metcalf we talked about yeah. a lot in ladybird about how even though she wasn't the villain she was the antagonist in scream 2 she definitely has some mischievous tendencies and i'll leave it at that and she is an actor who even back on roseanne she commands the screen there is no screen big enough to hold laurie metcalf she also just happens to be one of the best stage actors of our time anytime she's on broadway she probably gets a tony nomination and she gives a next level performance and i think in my film particularly which we will get into laurie metcalf would be a incredible dr doom that no one would see coming i'm i'm really intrigued i wonder if our pitches are going to be the same similar at this point maybe maybe not but Lori Metcalf is perfection. There's one other project I want to mention. Please. Why I thought of Lori Metcalf. And I mentioned that she has done a lot of work on stage. There was a play that played in 2019 called Hillary and Clinton, in which Lori played Hillary Clinton and John Lithgow played Bill Clinton. Now, I am not remotely saying Hillary is a villain. I voted for her happily. She wasn't my favorite, 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 but I liked yeah, her. Yeah. But any larger than life political figure, which Hillary arguably is, has something in common with the way, particularly these days, villains are written for superhero projects. She brought an intensity to that role, a strength, a fierceness, all of which I think would translate really well to a portrayal of Dr. Doom. That is fantastic. Again, no no gripes about casting Laurie Metcalf. So to recap, uh, can you just recap your list real quickly? Uh, make sure we've Absolutely. got everything in order. Uh, Adam Driver is Mr. Fantastic. Saoirse Ronan is Sue Storm. Shudi Gatwa is Johnny Storm. Beanie Feldstein as The Thing. And Laurie Metcalf as Dr. Two. Great. Now for my list, uh, starting with Reed Richards, I'm going with this actor who was in both 2017's Lady Bird and 2019's Little Women. I'm going with the Chalamet himself, Timothy Chalamet. I, I figure at some point, once he's done with Dune, it, he might find his way into the MCU. He, It's kind of the archetype actor that the MCU looks for. They'll find, I think they'll find something for him. Why not Mr. Fantastic? I think really since though he's been around he really hit the scene with call me by your name and i am more than happy to watch anything he's in i love dune of call me by your name he's going to be in wonka which not sure how i feel about 
the project itself, but I'm interested to see his take on Willy Wonka. And similarly, I would be interested to see his take on a Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, Timothy's a fascinating young actor. He has a not dissimilar energy from Adam Driver in so much as you think of them as leading men, but they're they're kind of weird too. Yes. Like they both yes. feel like they're hiding something. And if they play like a quirkier part like Timothy did in Lady Bird, you buy it. He also is not all that dissimilar of a presence from Miles Teller, who yeah. previously played uh, Reed Richards in the, uh, we won't ever talk about it again, Josh <laughs> Trank fan The fan, yeah, let's say the fan force stick. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I, I think depending on the rest of your cast and how your pitch goes, Timothy was a smart choice, especially in a Greta. So with, with, your, with your take there, when the Fancast at Four podcast does a retrospective on fan uh, I shouldn't call on you to be a guest. No, I'll come and talk about it. I just, I just don't care for it. <laughs> I, I mean, if you do care for it, more power to you listeners, but Correct. you shouldn't. So my Sue Storm, I'm going with an actress who also, uh, her, I guess, who co-stars along Judy uh, um, in Sex Education. I'm going with Emma Mackey, who to me is like the spitting image of Margot Robbie, which maybe that plays off of what's going on in the Barbie film. We'll see. Emma Mackey is, can play someone who's so friggin' tough, so intelligent, and will not take anyone's shit. And really, that's what I want in a Sue Storm. She, she also has this soft, subtle, kind of maternal nature for her friends, I think, that comes out a little bit in sex education. Um, I think most recently I saw her on, in a smaller part, on Death on the Nile. And again, yeah. she held her own against against actors like Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Kenneth Branagh, and, and so on and so forth. And you need an actress, you need a character who is not going to back down from a Reed Richards, from her brother Johnny Storm. And I don't know if I could find someone who has shown in her limited filmography and, and credits who can play a tough, strong woman like Emma Mackey. Yeah, I think that's a really smart choice. Um, when you started talking about her, I immediately thought of Death on the Nile because she played a really strong sort of femme fatale right, right, right. character in that. And, uh, you know, hasn't done that much yet, but I think she has the look and the chops to, to do it. And you're right. She looks so much like Margot Robbie. The fact that they're both in Barbie, you kind of think maybe she's playing a different version of Barbie. Which yes, could be yeah, really interesting. Yes, yeah, that, that's where my head went when I saw the cast. It, it's like Margot Robbie, Emma Mackey, and Samara Weaving are basically the same person. I'm excited. And again, she, she is an actress who stars on the rise, I think. And we will be seeing a lot more of her going forward. Unless more products come about, I imagine she would be willing to take the time to do an MCU project if ever it comes about. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, as for her brother, I'm going to go with an actor who I'm surprised that. We haven't seen a little bit more of, especially with the projects he's chosen to be in or he's been cast in. But this actor was in 2017's Lady Bird, and he got an Oscar nomination for his performance in Manchester by the Sea. I'm going with Lucas Hedges. Maxwell, I believe you had initially cast him when we were talking previously and then decided to, which made my life easier because I could put him back on my list. Yeah. But no, Lucas Hedges, I think, is just a great young actor. He certainly shows a vulnerability that a lot of actors his age I don't think can get away with. And that's why I really wanted to pair him and Timothy too, because I think Timothy's another one who can do that. And with the movie I'm going with, that's going to be very important. Certainly, I'm going to want an actor who can be fiery, pun intended, but also be willing to, in the right setting, show that that softness, that vulnerability, that ability to break down if need be, if called upon. And Lucas Hedges is Again, it baffles me he's not been in more stuff. Yeah, I, like you said, I had originally uh, picked Lucas Hedges, and then I actually I have one other relatively main character in my pitch who is a Marvel character that cool. I cast Lucas as, and we'll, we'll get oh, to perfect, that. But perfect. He, he's an incredible actor. Uh, ben is back, Waves, Lady Bird, Manchester, on and on. He, he's remarkable, already Oscar nominated at a young age, but he has that fieriness. He's someone I would believe making quips in the midst of a big action scene, but can also bring that emotional honesty that is rare for younger actors. Yeah, he's a perfect choice. I appreciate it. Well, last but not least, as far as the, the heroes go, the main four go, uh, for Ben Grimm, 
I'm, I wouldn't say I'm breaking a rule, but I'm doing something I really try not to do and cast the same person. I initially had Beanie Feldstein. Then Maxwell came in and was like, I'm changing. I'm casting Beanie Feldstein. I'm like, okay, in my head, I'll find someone different. I couldn't do it. I really couldn't do it. She was just too perfect for one, what the movie I want to do. And I think she just fits what I want in a Ben Grimm, despite her being female. So we talked about her a lot prior. Any other any other thoughts that may have come to mind while we were going through about Beanie Feldstein as uh, Ben Grimm or Benjamina Grimm in this case? Uh, I, I, I think I covered everything I had to say, and it really boils down to she's hilarious, yes, but she is someone who is deeply strong from oh, their insides. Sure. In, in Book Smart, those rapid fire dialogues, the strength of character she brought to it, even in Lady Bird, like that she has that line that has been repeated time and time again. It's a gift. It is the titular role. Like, <laughs> and the way she delivers that, it just has this oomph to it that makes, I think, her perfect for this sort of superhero character. We're on the same page there. Now, last and not least, the main antagonist of my film, Dr. Doom. And I'm going with an actor also in 2017's Lady Bird and 2019's Little Women. We talked about him a little bit earlier. I'm going with Tracy Letts as Dr. Doom. For the movie I'm doing I and some of the performances I've seen him in outside of uh, Greta Gerwig's direction, I think he fits masterfully as what I want to do as Dr. Doom. I will, if you have any comments, by all means, but I think I'm going to leave it at that with it so I don't spoil much more. No, it's incredibly smart casting. I, I think he would kill it because uh, particularly on stage, um, he has definitely played a villainous type characters. There's a play on Broadway right now that he stars in and wrote called The Minutes. The entire play takes place in a small town city hall meeting room where the town council is meeting and he's sort of the foreman character. And again, as I was talking about how a lot of villains these days are written very politically, that performance and that work, I think, would translate really well to Dr. Doom. And I think that's I love when, it when stage actors get big film roles. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will admit one thing that I'm going to be playing off of some, and I will admit I did not really like the show, but his performance in Winning Time, Adam McKay's Winning Time about the 80s Lakers, how he played his character is, I think, where I'm going to take some influence from with where my Doctor Doom is going. You know, with that said, we've talked about our cast. I will, I guess, to recap mine. Reed Richards, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Sue Storm, Emma Mackey, Johnny Storm, Lucas Hedges, Ben Jamina Grimm, Beanie Feldstein, Dr. Doom, Tracy Letts. So here we are. We got through our cast. Now it's time for our pitches. But Maxwell, before I let you go into what you have, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, okay. First, is your film an origin film? No. Uh, second, is it part of the MCU? It becomes clear that it's part of the MCU in the mid credit scene, but up until that point, it could be. So if you cut that scene out, it doesn't have to be. Um, when I pit envisioned it, I envisioned it essentially as its own thing. For my pitch, it is an origin film in a sense. And if we understand what the multiverse is, it could be part of the MCU, but it's not intended to have any sort of connection to the MCU. So with all that established, Maxwell, let's let's hear your pitch. The the movie uh, that I'm pitching takes place almost exclusively at Metro College in New Jersey. Metro College is a location in Marvel lore. Johnny Storm was a student there and is a student there um, in this movie. And it takes inspiration from two classic Fantastic Four stories. Um, one being This Man, This Monster. And the other one being when Marvel did their Ultimatum stuff. So Ultimatum, Fantastic Four, Requiem. And in that story, Grimm kills Dr. Doom. So in this movie, the college and the students become a character. There's lots of supporting students and teachers that really fill it out. And it has that Greta Gerwig indie dramedy, almost like if A24 was producing a Marvel movie kind of feel. So the first really important thing in my story is that skirting a typical convention, Sue Storm is actually in a very loving on-again, off-again relationship with Benjamin Grimm. Sue and Reed dated briefly, didn't work out. They're still friends. They work together. But the whole Fantastic Four is very much in support of Sue and Benjamina. They love them as a couple. The next really important thing to know about my story 
is that this Dr. Doom isn't who we think it is. So she is the Dean of Students of Metro College, and she goes by Dr. Cynthia Conway. About halfway through the movie or so, it is revealed that this is actually Dr. Doom's mother, Cynthia Von Doom. So she is Dr. Doom, PhD, who in comics lore is a witch who's trained in sorcery and the dark arts. So prior to the events of this film, some version of alt, uh, Requiem take place. So Dr. Doom is dead. Benjamina killed him and she's really struggling. So like I said, Reed is working at the Baxter building with Sue. Cynthia Conway calls him and says, hey, it's Young Inventors Week. Will you come and give a presentation at our sort of panel convention at the end of the week where all the students present their inventions? They say yes. They also have a connection because Johnny Storm is a student there and his best friend and roommate is Wyatt Wingfoot, a Marvel character. That's going to be Lucas Hedges in my movie. And I think Shooty and Lucas will have really fun chemistry because they're basically two actors who could play Johnny Storm. In this movie, Sue and Benjamina are on a break at the start of it because Benjamina sort of went into hiding after she killed Dr. Doom. She's really struggling with this. And that's where the story, this man, this monster comes into play. So one of the big themes of this movie, and, and to be clear, Reed Richards is mostly a supporting character. My leads in this movie are Sue and Benjamina. This takes a lot of inspiration from this man, this monster, because after she kills Dr. Doom, she's really struggling with her identity. And she feels that she is too much of a monster. She's leaning too much into the persona of the thing and losing Benjamina. So there's this sort of almost Jekyll and Hyde thing that she's going through. But prior to the start of this movie, we find out a little later that Cynthia had gotten in touch with Benjamina. Benjamina didn't know who she was and told her that using her witchcraft, she can make her human again. So for a good portion of this movie, we actually just see Benjamina as Benjamina, not as the thing. When Reed and Sue get to the college, Johnny Storm warns them that no one likes Cynthia, that she's tough and that she rubs them the wrong way. They don't think anything of it. They're like, this is just Johnny being Johnny again. And, you know, we can't trust him. And he's being silly and just talking out of his ass. So then when Benjamina finds out that they're coming to the college because she's been living sort of in a cabin not too far from the college because that's where the magic happened. She decides to reveal herself. She goes and talks to Sue and a good portion of at least the middle section of this movie plays out almost like an indie romantic comedy where Sue and Benjamina have to fall back in love with each other while Benjamina continues to struggle with her crisis of identity. Okay, so midway through the movie, we have our first big set piece. This takes place at the Young Inventors Day Forum where an army of Cree, uh, invade the campus and attack. And it's a giant set piece. It's sort of in a, you know, a school auditorium where there's all these panels set up. The, the students are giving presentations about their projects. You know, lots of typical Fantastic Four action, the stretching, the, you know, the fire stuff, the invisibility. But while all this is going on, Benjamina is unable to fight because she's a human, but she sort of starts to become in touch with the hero inside. And she helps a lot of the students who are getting hurt or, or having to run around from the Cree escape to safety. And there's a really sweet moment between Sue and Benjamina where Sue says, you know, being the thing doesn't define you. You aren't a monster. You're the love of my life. And it's your humanity and inner beauty and strength that make you who you are. That's a really sweet moment. You know, hopefully the audience is like, oh yeah, okay. So in the aftermath of this battle, and this is when a lot of the film's secrets start being revealed to the characters, rediscovers it wasn't Kree at all, but it was some sort of like sorceress manifestation, not dissimilar from Mysterio, but not using technology. Cynthia was using her magic. Reed goes and confronts Cynthia. She reveals that she's Cynthia Von Doom. She went back to Latveria where... The thing killed her son, took his helmet. And in this moment in the film, she puts on the helmet and says, I'm Cynthia, Cynthia Von Doom, and I'm Dr. Doom now. Something cheesy like that, but I'm sure it would work really well. The music swells. Now we have our Dr. Doom for this movie. Okay, so she's captured Sue, Reed, Johnny. Benjamina's not captured. And she realizes now that she can be herself and still be the thing. And so she gets in touch with Wyatt Wingfoot, whose invention that he was presenting, keeping in mind in the story, Wyatt is like the smartest scientist at the school. He was presenting a portal to the negative zone. This is a plot device that was used in this man, this monster. So with Wyatt's help, Benjamina portals herself to the negative zone, becomes the thing again 
portals back. And then her and Wyatt and all of the other science students who she saved use a bunch of their inventions and they have a giant battle where they basically defeat Cynthia and rescue the Fantastic Four. There is, of course, a moment paralleling when the thing killed Dr. Doom. And I toyed back and forth with if I wanted to like have a flashback and then have to cast another Dr. Doom. And I was like, well, we'll see. It's very similar where Cynthia is lying to where Dr. Doom was lying. And this time the thing decides not to kill her. They capture her. They send her to the raft, you know, that classic Marvel prison. And then the film ends with Benjamina and Sue's wedding. It's really romantic. It's lovely. They get married. They kiss. So there's a mid-credit scene, as any Marvel movie would. Um, We're on the raft. We see Cynthia in her cell. It's, you know, the iconic superhero villain scene, whether it be, you know, Joker in DC or anything, where they've been captured and they just look really mischievous. We see some sort of magic-y stuff happening, and it's revealed now that on the raft is Agatha Harkness. Yes, it can be Catherine Hahn, because the idea of Catherine Hahn working with Greta Gerwig seems great. Agatha comes up to Cynthia's cell and says, hello, dear, want to bring your son back to life? And then that's the end of the movie. The only other thing I wanted to mention is when I come up with pitches, I often will use a song to inspire it. So that song is called Be Sweet by Japanese Breakfast. And actually, one of the things I concede for this is it would be a song that Benjamina actually listens to a lot. So there, when she's in her cabin, when she's been recovering and trying to find herself again, this is a song that has come to mean a lot to her. So we can hear her listening to it throughout the film and it's just sort of diegetic music. But then in that big climactic action sequence at the end where she comes back, she's the thing, she teams up with Wyatt and all the science students to rescue the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Three, and defeat Cynthia, the song can finally actually play over the movie because we've seen that if this is an MCU, they're not averse to letting pop songs score their scenes. And I think it's a perfect song because it's really about finding joy and forgiving oneself. And that's the theme of this movie. And that's my Fantastic Four. I love that. And I have this big, stupid smile on my face because uh, great minds think alike. While there are plenty of differences between our pitches, uh, I think we were on a very like-tracked mind here with where we were thinking, uh, especially knowing Greta Gerwig. So all in all, just knowing my pitch, I love that pitch. Well done. I would love to see that movie too. I think really what it comes down to all this stuff, all these pitches that my guests have done yours as well are movies that I'd love to see. Will we get them? Unfortunately, probably not, but no. you know, the, the multiverse exists. So out there somewhere, there could yes. be a version of these stories. With that said, uh, I will get into my pitch. Greta Gerwig's Fantastic Four, as understood by me, very similar, even down to them being at Metro College. Baffling. But I will say very clearly, this is not a superhero movie. There are no powers. This is in a universe where superheroes, at least literally, do not exist. So how I look at this movie is, using this term again, a spiritual sequel to The Breakfast Club in some ways. It's not the same characters, but it's really looking at that next step in life. We've seen Greta explore post-college life. We've seen her explore high school going into college life. I'm looking at these characters as either um, undergrads, maybe graduate students at Metro College and their lives there. The movie opens up with this house on campus and you know, there's some maybe some text overlay just kind of breaking down that these four characters reed richard sue storm johnny storm and benjamina Grimm, are known on campus as this clique called the fantastic four some some use it ironically some that's just been what they're known so it's now a term of endearment really just depends on who you're asking on campus and all of them sans johnny are actually in some sort of science field Reed and Sue in physics, where Benjamina is in geology. What I really want this film to explore, I don't necessarily have plot outline, more just kind of character beats and how kind of the emotions behind what I want this film to present and kind of the general themes, especially with like Benjamina's character, that that sense of being an outcast, even among her core group of, of four people. And sim- again, similarly to you, I knowing uh, Beanie and her ability to to sing, I see her performing, I would say, a mellowed down version of Don't You Forget About Me as she's looking mm-hmm. on the relationship that 
the other three have. And there is a point where I don't see her having feelings for Reed Richards, but they, there is a plutonic friendship and she just gets jealous of that. I do see there being some sort of love triangle between Reed Richards, Johnny Storm, and Sue Storm, where Reed Richards is just being a dick. Like he's just playing both of them. So he, I wouldn't say he's really a good guy in this movie. By the end of it, I think he comes around. Benjamin snaps him out of it. They all reconcile. But I'd say similarly, well, maybe kind of opposite in your sense. As for Dr. Doom, though, I imagine Tracy Letts being either like a dean of students or a tough a head of a department, something like that, where sure. he's called Dr. Doom and he has this reputation of being this hard ass, making, making life miserable for his students. And ultimately, I do see each of these characters having some sort of moment where they, they have a conversation. I do want to touch back to that, that mumblecore a little bit where a lot of it is dialogue heavy and they're just interacting and talking about what's next for them in life. Whether it's, it's Reed talking about his potential, Sue is called the invisible woman ironically. I think she is a very noticeable presence on campus. That's where that name comes from in this film. Um, I envision Johnny being in a lot of trouble at school, uh, like his temper is just getting the best of him, and that's where the Human Torch nickname comes from. And he's he's working to get that temper under control. And then, as mentioned before, Beanie playing that character who feels on the outside even when she has this close knit group, and her finding her place in the world, and sometimes realizing that as much as this is her family, she still needs to find her own footing. And that's that's really what I want this film to explore is that uncertainty. We see the uncertainty going from high school to college in Lady Bird. We've seen that uncertainty of post-college life in for an artist in New York and Francis Ha. Now we kind of want to see how she explores that uncertainty in life once you finish school, whether it's undergrad, graduate, doctorate, whatever, and need to take that next step into some sort of professional world. That, that's really the crux of, of this film, exploring, again, the uncertainties, the tumultuous relationships between friends, lovers, family, educators, and I think it's very in Greta Gerwig's lane. So again, not a lot of plot that I have outlined, but really I just wanted to kind of invoke a feel, some plot points. I did want to give one Easter egg scene where the group comes across like, I'd say maybe like some exchange, like foreign exchange group led by Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, who introduce themselves as Scott Summers and Jean Grey. And mm. then some other characters, I envision maybe Issa Rae as Aurora Monroe or Storm, for those of you who do or do not know. Uh, America Ferreira as a character named Angel Salvador. And uh, one character I really want to introduce from uh, quote unquote the X-Men, despite them not having powers. Uh, one of my favorite characters fairly recently introduced, I'd say in the last 15 years, is a character named Fabio Medina. His X-Men name was originally Gold Balls, which I loved. It has since changed to Egg. I'm not going to dive into the super details of that change, but I'm, I'm envisioning uh, Rafael Silva playing that character. All of these have been or will be in Greta Gerwig directed roles, but I do see some sort of introduction, again, quote unquote, of X-Men into this this world, even if it's just as a different student group. So I did want to <laughs> still throw in some Easter eggs there, but really that that is the movie I envision. Breakfast Club and Francis Ha are kind of my big inspirations yeah. for this. Just evoking emotion and the series of events rather than a plot. I, I love that. I, I think the way you use their superhero monikers in a non-power world is re world is really clever. And what I like about our two pitches is stripping away any plot or any superpowers, like the interior of them is similar down to the setting, how, right. we, per how we picked the Doctor Doom character to function. But what's fascinating in the difference between our two approaches is you're like listen this is just going to be a Greta Gerwig movie with some like winks and nods to Marvel and then I was like how could Greta Gerwig make a film that she would make but still have it function in this super powered world and I think they're both really valid approaches and that's why this is such a fun show game yep. concept that's why, that's why I love this like I said the, the pitches are my favorite part because I love seeing people kind of flex that creativity muscle and like you said, while ours have, I'd say at the core, very similar, 
they still go at it from a very different way, despite still both being very believable Greta Gerwig films. And let me backtrack. I forgot one thing, very important element of of my film this house that they have that they rent out is called the baxter house who i envision laura dern being mrs baxter the proprietor or landlord of the baxter house listen i want to see this movie it has laura <laughs> dern in it you sold me <laughs> i'm kicking myself that i forgot to mention laura dern how dare i but... listen crisis crisis diverted you got there in the end <laughs> yeah i would have needed to do like an emergency episode to right the wrong that would have been done i love it i'm glad you like my pitch love your pitch and you. interested just to see the the differences between a uh, say a powered and a non-powered story that's and the crossover that still exists so i think that was really fun and different thing that we explored compared to other episodes so thank you for that thank you so really that is the end of our show listeners our fan castings our pitches for a greta gerwig helm fantastic four movie are complete we hope you the listeners enjoyed our exploration into this what if scenario I want to make special note that the FanCast at Four podcast is hosted for free on Anchor, and we encourage you, if you have your own podcast idea, to check out Anchor. It is really a great resource for getting your idea off the ground. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you are listening on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting that like and subscribe button and commenting with who your Greta Gerwig FanCast would be, on what your thought of our lists and pitches were, and on which director you might want to see next. I also want to thank Matt Hart and Maddie Gunner for their fantastic theme music they created for us. I certainly want to thank you, Maxwell, for being a guest today. I hope you had fun. Now, please tell our listeners where else they can find you. Yeah, I had a blast. This was, uh, honestly, I had so much fun the last like two days really conceptualizing this, thinking about it. It's a great exercise. And, you know, I was thinking about like, how does a podcast function where you're fan casting the same characters every week? But like you said, it's the pitches and right. how you make that pitch work with the specific director that it, it's really fun. Congratulations on the show. It's Thank really you. cool. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell. Um, I tweet a lot. I have a link tree there that'll bring you to everything else, um, like Ember Productions and all that other good stuff. Awesome. Thank you. You all should really check them out. And I look forward to hopefully working with you down the line. Absolutely. Uh, Before we conclude, I really want to make note that June is Pride Month. And we here at the FanCast at Four want you to know that we are here to support you, our fantastic friends and family, who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community. You all certainly do have something to be proud of. I myself recently came out as a member of this community and am a testament that it is never too late to let the world know who your true self is. And if we here at the podcast can help in any way, please let us know. With that said, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Dan Bettenhausen, and on behalf of my guest, Maxwell Headad, I hope you all have a fantastic day.